Okay, so Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would have dared even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, the death by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more, so that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so that's chapter 5. So chapter 5 is summing up the first four chapters as well, that we've been reconciled to God, right? Through Christ Jesus, and it's God's grace, His free gift, that justifies us. God looks upon us when we take that act of faith, to believe in the, the provision that God set forth, that was Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. We're not made righteous, meaning we still do unrighteous things. We still have unrighteous thoughts. We still do unrighteous acts. But we are declared in a legal manner to be out of the wrath of God and into in Christ, the position of being in Christ, right? So now that we are in that position, Paul is saying, you are in this position. You're going to receive much more things. You're going to be, you're going to receive the free gift of grace, which saves you, but you're going to be given much more things, and that is sanctification. The sanctification is this impartation of righteousness. Justification is imputed. He declared it to you that you are going to, that I look upon you as my own son, as righteous, even though we are not yet fully obtained righteousness. Sanctification is the process where we are being transformed by the renewing our minds to be like Christ, right? That's what the process is. So just like you were justified by faith, you're sanctified by faith because he's doing the sanctification. And all we have to do is respond positively. All we have to do is yield to that sanctification process.
So let's get to it. Romans 6. Um, so 6 through 18. 6, 1 through 8, 17 is a unit. Um, all three chapters will deal with sanctification. Um, chapter 6, which we're going to go through today, teaches why we never have to sin again, right? Because we're dead to sin, right? We're dead to sin. We, we were, when Christ died, we died with him. When Christ was buried, we were buried with him. When Christ rose again, we rose again. So we are not bond slaves or slaves to sin anymore. We, can, we obviously still choose to sin, but we don't have to. Uh, chapter 7 will teach us that, that even if believers try not to sin, we still will, right? Um, yet they have access to this power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, to not sin. We have the power to not be in bondage to sin. And then uh, th that's what chapter 8 will teach as well, that, that how the Holy Spirit will be indwelling you to help you not sin. So the emphasis of this section is how the believer can live a justified life. Now that you're justified, how then should you live? And that's what Paul's going to kind of go through here. We should live in this idea that we are declared righteous, and as a result of being declared righteous, we should act like it, basically, right? Um, so let's, let's start with verse 1, right? Um, verse 1 says... What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The very fact that you can even ask that question shows proof that justification is perfect. It's total, right? The fact that you can say, well, since I have this free gift and since I did nothing to earn it, what do, what do I do? <laughs> Should I, I can just continue to sin because it doesn't really matter what I do. It's what, all what he does, right? And of course, what does he say? By no means, God forbid, certainly not. You know, all these like very strong terms, right, of, of two-way. Um, and so someone read verse 2b. We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Right, so he, that, it's a counter question. The question is, well, can I do whatever I want to do, basically? God forbid. How can we still live in sin when we die to it? Why would you live in sin when you've been when it was died, right? It died in you. You you crucified it. Because he didn't say we're just separated. He says you die to it, right? We're dead to it. And the reason why we're dead to it is because we have a union with Christ. Um, we'll kind of go over how what that means, the union with Christ. But we're counted as dead to believer. Believers are counted as dead to sin. We're not physically dead, but we died in that bondage to sin. That slaved. We're no longer a slave. We don't have the legal sin. No longer has the legal authority over our lives. Um, it was broken. Um, so while we don't have to live in sin, we still do, right? And that's kind of what we're going to be going over as well. Sin is a moral contradiction for us because God declared us righteousness. God is going to impart righteousness to it. So we have this, this conundrum, right? I am dead to sin, yet I have this sin in me that's pulling me to do things, and I don't want to do that, right? So Paul's going to answer the question of how believers have died to sin in verses 3 through 10. Um, because we've been separated from our old life, 
and now we're in union and sanctification with Christ. So read verse 3, if you would. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right, so when he says, do you not know, or are you ignorant of the fact, right? The question implies that we're ignorant, but we shouldn't be. Right? Don't you know that all of us have been baptized in Christ when you were justified? You were baptized in Christ. Don't you know that? Um, so we should have a firm knowledge of that union. Right? When you, when you put your faith in trust, it's not just a hope. It's an actual faith, a logical conclusion that you are logically convinced that what Christ did on the cross, that Christ came to the earth, Christ died on the cross, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again, if you're logically convinced of that, then you, you should recognize that you're in union with him, right? Um, when he died, we died, right? And now we're dead to sin. So this baptism mentioned here just by way of passing is not the water baptism, because <clears throat> water baptism doesn't have that kind of power, right? Necessary to create this union or put us in that position. Water baptism, as we talked about, is just a symbol of a spiritual reality, right? When we are baptized publicly, it's a declaration of what has happened to us spiritually, right? Levi, weren't you baptized last week? Yes, you were. I'm sorry, I, we missed it. I'm, I'm, I'm sad about that, but very good. <laughs> very good. Um, Okay, so this is a reference to spirit baptism. Let's look over real quick to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So we see that this spirit baptism, believers are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. So when you when you put your faith in the provision that God has made in His Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes you fully, whether it's in water or not water, or, or however way you want to do it. The, the Spirit baptism is what's here. So read, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, if you would. For in one Spirit we were all All right, all baptized into one body. So the body is what? According to Colossians 1.18, the body is the church, right? Um, the moment when a believer, uh, when a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Christ. And our position is out of God's wrath and condemnation into the body of Christ. Charles Ryrie says, uh, Baptism with the Holy Spirit joins the believer to Christ, separating him from the old life and associating him with the new. He is no longer in Adam, but is in Christ. Water baptism portrays this truth. Okay, so back to Romans 6, 4, if you would. We're going to see, now that we know we've been baptized into the body of Christ, that we are so separated from our old self and into the new self, what is the result? And verse 4 gives us that result. If you'd read verse 4. Verse 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Right, so we're, we're, Paul is showing us that we have this connection, this union, this association with Christ. So as a result of the Holy Spirit baptizing us into this position of being in the church, God looks upon you, instead of looking upon you as dead to, because of your sin and filth and unrighteousness, he looks upon you as being united with Christ. So when, like I said, when Christ died, the believer died, you died. When Christ was buried, you were buried. And when he was resurrected, you were resurrected, right? We're now dead to sin because we are considered as co-crucified with Christ not because of anything we did. Again, it's God's grace gift to us. So now we have a new type of life in which we should walk, right? How uh, Francis Schaeffer has this book called How Then We Should Live, or How Then Should You Live? Basically, knowing that you have all these things, now what should you do? That's what Paul is ask, answering here, is that you have a new life. Why would you live like you did before? Why would you do the things you did before, right? There's no, they're shame and they're fruitless. Um, so the, the union with Christ is what has broken our old self inside, our, our union with sin. The union with sin, we, we had no choice but to be in. When we put our faith in Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit broke that union, and we no longer have the power of sin reigning over us. So there's more explanation. Read verse 5. Right, so there's our hope, right? We talk about justification, sanctification. Certainly that since we have died like him, we shall certainly be with, united with him in a resurrection. The resurrection is the, re the reception of glorification, of a glorified body. So again, we have this brand new position altogether. And, and now, since we're in the likeness of Christ's death, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Christ received his new resurrection body already, right? He's no longer limited by his mortal body, what he had earlier. Um, he has this immortal body once again, in a sense, but he's still in a, in a man form. Um, we see him in, in many forms as a suffering lamb in, in Revelation 5. Um, so he now lives in his glorified resurrected body because he has a glorified resurrected body we have hope that we will receive that same glorified resurrected body because we've been co-crucified co-buried and will be co-resurrected we should have that mindset in us right that's the mindset in which we should have the power of that sin is broken within us so uh, verses 6 through 10 will give us more of the results of that union read verse 6 if we were Remember how we talked about we had, we had a sin nature which had a death sentence, not because of our individual sins, but because of the imputation of sin from Adam, right? 
no matter what we tried to do, no matter how good or holy we thought, we had a sin nature that we inherited from Adam. That was the fall, right? That was the, the tragedy of the fall was that all who come after Adam, all of Adam's sin, seed, would have inherit this sin nature. So we were under this death sentence because of imputed sin, and then that legal authority of that uh, sin reigned over us, right? Um, no matter how good, like I said, no matter how good, no matter how moral, no matter how many cats you saved out of the trees or helped old lady cross the streets, you had no goodness in you as far as God is concerned. You might, we know, we know, however, that agnostics and atheists and other religions do good things here, right? And they are good things. Helping old ladies cross the street and helping cats down from the tree is a good, it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing, but to God, it doesn't mean anything, right? It doesn't mean anything. They get their reward while you're here for those things, right? Um, so the, the individual acts of sin are, are a result of our imputed sin, right? So that's kind of what Paul, what Paul is delineating here, that we had inherited from Adam. So no matter how good you were or thought you were, your imputed sin from Adam separated you from God. But that imputation of sin from Adam has been broken. That's the point he's making here. It's been broken. Um, our sin nature died with Christ, right? It no longer has that authority over us. Those who are not believers in Christ are still under the reign of sin, right? If you are a believer in Christ, you are under the reign of righteousness, of God, of being in Christ, of being in the church. Um, we may surrender to sin. We might not yield to the sanctification power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but the sin nature has no legal demand on your life to do these things, right? Um, so it's, you know, if you, if you were rescuing kit, cats out of the trees, before you were saved, it wasn't accounted to you as righteousness. But if you are rescuing cats out of the trees after you're saved, God may consider that righteous, right? Because it's done with a different heart, it's done with a different, different uh, mentality and a different newness. So it isn't, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thought. We should be thinking in that manner that the good things we do are now to the glory of God, not to the glory of ourselves or the glory of man, right? Okay, further is verse seven. Someone read verse 7. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Right, we've been set free from sin. So our justification was completed in the past, but it continues into the present, right? Um, again, we don't have to read. Our sin nature has been crucified, but we still... So therefore, we don't have to respond to it anymore. We don't have to follow it or be obedient to the sin nature. It, it has been broken, so we're not under its bondage where we have to follow it, right? Um, okay, verses 8 through 10 continue with the result of the truth. Um, it's we, we enter into this new sphere, right? This new position. We're no longer in that position. We're in the new position. Um, the... In verse 8, we're going to see that the union with Christ is not only taking care of our guilt, but also delivered us from sin's power. So read verse 8, if you would. 
Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Right, so part, part of your faith is that your old nature has died with Christ. And now that we, you know that you've died with him, your old nature, you will live with him because you have been resurrected with him. We are, we are convinced now that we will also live with him. If you're convinced of your justification, that you have been declared righteous, you should be just as convinced that you will live with him. And that's what the sanctification process is in the future glorification. And the reason that we've had that is verse 9. Read verse 9 if you would. All right, so our mindset should be that what happened in the past, Christ died, we died, Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected, Christ will die no more, death has no longer any authority over him. He, ha he was subject to death because of the sin that was imputed to him. Remember the imputed righteousness we got from him? Our sin was imputed unto him, and that's what satisfied God the Father. So the sin nature, again, has no authority over us whatsoever because his resurrection proved it was, it was satisfy, satisfying to God the Father, and because we are connected in union, with, in union with him, that our sin nature, our imputed sin, is broken, is no longer there. Christ's resurrection opened eternity up for us, right? We now have eternal life because of the resurrection. It was, it was accomplished, it was satisfied, and God was pleased with that sacrifice. Okay, so verse 10, can you read that? The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He lives to God, right? So Christ died only once, and now he lives. Unlike the sacrifices of the Mosaic Law, which we talked about, they had to do that over and over and over again, right? Day after day, Christ never has to die again. It was efficacious, right? It was, it was sufficient. His death was sufficient. A lamb sacrifice had to be done over and over again, and that was just to cover. It was just an atoning, a cover. But Christ, the perfect lamb, never has to die again because it was fulfilled, right? It was final and sufficient to provide complete and total atonement. He died under God's wrath in the realm of sin, but he lives in the realm of righteousness and in the realm of God, right? Christ's death was a one-time act. How many times are you justified? One time. All it takes is one time. His death justified you once. You were forever justified at that one time. So the process of sanctification is that we now live a daily life according to that truth, that you have been justified once, so let's live like it, right? So now Paul goes into verse, in verse 11, because um, these first 10 verses are basically theological. This is the position you have. This is the union that you have. This is where you are. Uh, and now what are you to do with this truth? right? You must consider something. So go ahead, read verse 11. Sure. 
You have to consider yourself, right? As a believer, you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So consider that. Uh, carefully consider that. Thought, think about that process. That's what Paul is giving these verses for you to show you where you are, where you were, where you are, where you're going. So carefully consider those things, right? We should have a continuous attitude of faith. It, it's not a feeling. It's, an, it's, an, it's a conviction that you are logically convinced that you are dead to sin and alive to God, right? That's, that's how you live. You live with that premise. You live with that notion because it's true. The only person who can take that from you is you. God will never pull that from you. He's given that to you. You are in that position. We said it before. Our, our worst enemies are ourselves, Right? We, hold, we stop the Holy Spirit. We quench it. We don't yield. We don't submit. We submit to our old selves much more than we might submit to our new self. Right. So what God has declared to be true, we are to be accepting about ourselves. If he declared you justified and righteous, he's God. He's the one that matters. Shouldn't you think that same way? You should. Right. You should. The sin nature no longer has a legal authority over you, right? Over me, over any of us. We are to believe that what is true of Christ is also true of us because we are in union with him. We are in him. We are his bride, right? This is what Paul is encouraging us to constantly consider. Think about these things. Carefully consider the position you are in. As a result of the position you are in, should you be easily offended? Should you be upset? Should you be, you know, struggling? I say struggle. Should you be suffering in turmoil? Should you be fearful? Should you have all these unnecessary feelings and thoughts, knowing that your position in Christ is a gift of God and is fully grace? Right? We should have the the premise in our minds that of what complete gratitude. Really, what's the key to happiness? Gratefulness, right? If you want to be happy, be grateful. What are you to be grateful for? All the things God has given you. I mean, so it's almost, it's almost, um, I want to say kindergarten-ish. It's a, it's a simple ABC, right? This equals this, therefore that, right? Okay, so we shall consider that constantly. When sin makes its appearance in us, we should learn to recognize it and remind ourselves that we are dead to it. We're dead to sin and alive to God. That is the process in which we go through. So he'll, he'll make a similar point in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I'll, I'll read that. Five, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, right? You are in Christ. He is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are, have become new. God accepts you because of your position, right? Being in Christ. Because we are identified, we are in union, we are in connection, we are in fellowship, we are in relationship with Christ. God accepts you. All right, so, so what, the, here's the issue. This is great doctrine, great theology. What do we see in our daily lives, however, right? Um, this positional truth does not always match our own experience, right? So the difference between our position and our experience is really just a matter of faith and trust 
of our own lives, right? Of what he's doing in your own life, right? What does God say is true of you? Do you believe it? Do you have faith in it? Do you trust that what God has declared, you believe, right? And if you believe it, it's going to cause you to live in gratitude and live in joy and live in peace, regardless of all the things going around you, right? Um, that should persuade us to continually grow until we conform to what we already are positionally. We're already righteous. Let's live like it, right? Let's that's our goal is to live in a, in a trajectory that makes us more like him, more in the image of him. Since he's declared us to be righteous, he's declared us to be dead to sin, sin and alive to him through Christ. Um, live like it, right? Um, how many times are you forgiven when you're justified? All the time, right? All of your sins were future when Christ died on the cross, every single one of them. Um, they're forever, you are forever made acceptable to God by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, right? The sin, the, the sin in your life and the sin that you will commit will never cause you to be rejected, right? And just on the side, some people might say, well, you can commit the, what is it, the um, unpardonable sin, right? But we know what the unpardonable sin, it was the national rejection of, of Israel, of their Messiah, Jesus Christ, on the basis of demon possession. So there is no unpardonable sin, there is no amount of sin, there is no sin that, will, that God will reject you once you're justified, right? You are eternally secure. Sin will never cause the Holy Spirit to believe a believer. I used to be a counselor every once in a while, and one of the things that he worked with me on was the concept of like carrying around shame, and that like I was sin, so his sin, uh, and then days later, however much later, I'm still behaving a certain way, not in my sin, but beating myself up or wrongs that I've done. Yeah. You know, and he would really lean into me on like, well, how's God? You know, did, did God forgive you? Has God forgiven you? Does God hold that against you? So why are you holding it against you? You know, do you plan on going and repeating that behavior? Does it, you know, have you repented? So why are you carrying around the burden of your sin? Because God hold it against you. And so over time, I had to learn a different behavior not like walk in shame of my sin, but to recognize this, I am human, I will sin, when I sin I'm called to repent and confess my sin, but I don't have to go through the rest of my life with this deep shame of like yeah. how lousy a person I am, but no, I make mistakes and then I confess and move on uh, because God has put the stripes once and for all for me. Yeah. It's, it is an interesting thing. It's almost like a self-righteous thought that we should feel remorse and feel sadness and feel guilty and shameful for the things we've done. There's a sense of self-righteousness in that. Like, like, you know, I did these things. It's like a, a punishment of the crime in a sense, right? You're, you're in this little prison that you make of yourself because of the way that you were or the things that you've done or the things you thought or the things you said or whatever. So we put, we put ourselves in this prison but that's the power of sin. You're letting sin reign over you with that thought process. 
And even, so what does that do? That takes from you the joy, it takes from you the gratitude, it takes from you the peace, it takes from you all the things that God has given to you. And so we have this little, you know, conundrum in our mind that, yes, I am a sinner, therefore I should feel like a sinner, you know, and I should feel the consequences of being a sinner. Um, and so we have to, we have to find, find that freedom from bondage. It's, it's been said that, you know, God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, but he has a terrible memory, right? He doesn't remember, but we have very good memories. <laughs> I remember all the stupid things I've done, you know, and I, I'm ashamed of them, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of those things. But just like you said, God, God has declared you righteous where you don't have to live in it. And it, it is, it is a, a form of me um, putting myself in captivity to the sin that was there. And it's, a, it's an exercise to move myself out of that. I, why the gate of the jail cell is open and I keep putting myself back in there even though the lock's not there you know it's like what are you doing why do you do that and that's what Paul's saying why would you you're dead to it why would you go back in there don't go back in there it's very good thanks man okay um, okay so carefully consider the position you have, the position you are in. Um, we'll just do 12 through 14 quickly, and then that'll be it. So um, let's look at verse 12. So you had a careful consider the position you're in. Now you want to yield, right? There's a practical command to do in your life as a result of the position that you have. So read verse 11, if you would. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Right. So in light of God's grace, in light of the position you have, it made us dead to sin and alive to God. We should not let sin rule as king over us, right? We have mortal bodies and we can let sin reign over us, but we don't have to. This yielding is not a once and, and done for all believers, right? It's, we have to keep on resisting sin. While we put our faith in Christ once and it's done, the yielding to the indwelling Holy Spirit is a continual process. We have to keep on resisting that sin. And it's the sin nature. Even though, because we've had imputed sin nature from Adam, we're no longer held under authority of that, but we still have this sin nature that we have to, we have to uh, resist sin within us. Um, we're, we're being, before you just did what the sin nature caused you to do. Now, you might have been somewhat of a moral or good person, so you try to resist some immorality and some of those things, but you were not out of sin nature. You still had the sin nature in you. Um, the natural pull for our sin nature is to obey the lusts of the body, right? That we, we were slaves to the lusts of the body. We still wouldn't always succumb to them, but nonetheless, the lusts of the body, that sin nature, is what's pulling you to, be, to, to follow its commands, right? Our, our union with Christ, however, is that we should continually yield and be obedient to the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts and our bodies, right? That's what will lead to continual good works. Good works come as a result of your position, not give you the position. Good works are the result of your position. And then verse 13 is more details of what a yielded life looks like. 
Read verse. Did we read verse twelve? Read verse twelve. We we just read verse twelve. Oh, read verse thirteen. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members of God as instruments for righteousness. Right. So now the goal is to present your bodies to don't present your bodies as a tool, right? Or as an instrument to the sin nature. Don't let your body be a tool for the sin nature. If we yield our physical bodies to the sin nature, the sin nature will rule over us again. We put ourselves back in the, the prison cell, right? Don't let it do that. Legally, we're no longer under sin's authority. We don't have to lose to the sin nature within us. So that word present is in the present tense, right? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Um, that means that we are to continually present ourselves, right? We're continuing to not present our bodies as tools of sin, but present ourselves to as bodies of righteousness to God. Um, so we have to make some decisions on a constant daily basis of our position. Therefore, because of my position, I'm going to make the conscious decision to live in this manner, live this way. Um, we make that commitment to have faith and hope and trust in Christ. We have to make that commitment to therefore live according to that, right? Live and act accordingly. So we're going to have to continually fight this battle, right? We subject our bodies. We're going to have to fight the battle of not subjecting our bodies to the sin nature. It's, an, it's a war, and that's the mindset we have to have, too, is that within us is this battle, and it's our old nature versus our new nature. And we're not powerless. We're not, we're not uh, um, without help. We, we, don't, we have, and that's a whole, a whole other study, you know, the whole armor of God. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have all these tools and instruments to help us, we just need to access them. Remember we talked about that before. You want to access God's grace to get you through the trials and the sufferings because God's grace is the power that enables you. You don't have the power within yourself. Only the Holy Spirit within you can do it. So if we don't lean on him, right, on his grace, then we will fail. So it's a, it is literally a constant relationship with him, like uh, pray without ceasing. It's that, that, that mental aspect where you are always realizing that without him I don't have it I won't do it I can't do it right um, so verse 14 um, he's going to offer both an explanation and makes a promise so read verse 14 so that's it Sin will have no dominion over you. That's what we should want. No dominion of sin over us. And that's our prayer, is that you have the desire to not have sin have reigning over you. And we, that's hard because our pool is the lust of the body, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, right? That's our pool. But so what we really need help with is understanding where how I should feel about sin. You should not want sin in your life because it produces shame, guilt, fruitlessness. But righteousness produces in you 
peace, joy, sadness, all the things that we want. So I, my challenge to you and myself is that. Do we have a mindset of hating sin, right? Not wanting sin to have dominion over us. And Paul says, you're not obligated to be under sin anymore. Why would you want the dominion of it over you? So it won't have dominion over you if you access God's grace. If you are thinking about your position, you won't be subject to the dominion of sin. It's a promise, right? It's, it's a promise that you have to hold and think about and be carefully consider. You're not under law, but you're under grace. Um, that statement will set the, 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 the rest of the chapter up, right? The stage for the rest of the chapter. So that's good that we ended there and we'll, we'll end there. Okay. Heavenly Father, we just bow our hearts before you, Lord, and we, we come before you because you are good, because you have given us grace, because you have given us peace, life, joy, hope. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you would reveal to us your premise of sin, what sin, how you look at sin, that we would have the same mindset about sin in our lives, that we would not have let sin have reigning power over us. Lord, we ask that you reveal to us the heart of you, that we would hate sin, and that we would access your grace to wage that battle against our old sin nature. So Lord, we need you to do this, and you promise that you will do this. All we must do is yield and get out of the way. And Lord, we ask that you would help us in our mindset of understanding the position you, you, we are now in, that we are no longer in the old self, but we are in the new self, and the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us is what gives us authority to overcome our old self. But we need your help, and we ask for it, Lord. Help us to recognize that without you, we can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.